Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Good, bad, and crazy martinis for our fellow conservatives today. And all three of these fit very squarely in the three categories that we try to cover each day. Glad to have you with us. Your stool is ready. Here we go. Uh, Jim, we've got the Democrats pushing H.R. 1, which is kind of their nationalizing of elections, or at least taking a lot of power away from states. One of the things that H.R. 1 would do is get rid of voter ID laws. And those already exist in a strong majority of U.S. states and a strong majority of U.S. voters like voter ID laws and want them. A new Rasmussen Reports national telephone and online survey finds that 75% of likely U.S. voters believe that voters should be required to show photo identification such as a driver's license before being allowed to vote. Only 21% are opposed to such a requirement. And let's break it down even more. 89% of Republicans require ID requirements, as do 60% of Democrats and 77% of voters not affiliated with either political party. Uh, Further on, it shows that a majority of Democrats think that voter ID laws are discriminatory, while 79% of Republicans and 67% of unaffiliated voters say requiring identification at the polls is not discriminatory. Majorities of whites, 74%, blacks, 69%, and other minorities, 82%, say voters should be required to show photo identification before being allowed to vote. Voters under 40 support voter ID laws more than do older voters. So, uh, Jim, we've been constantly told this is racist. Uh, We've constantly Mm -hmm. told this is disadvantaging perhaps poor people as well. But massive percentages of those groups have no problem with it whatsoever because it just makes sense. Yeah, you know, the term gaslighting gets thrown around a lot, and it's now kind of turned into a catch-all term for any type of expression that is uh, dishonest or at odds with the facts in politics. But it used to have a much more specific, uh, and I think, you know, meaning, and I think it kind of loses, the term loses its value as it gets applied more broadly to any kind of dishonesty. Gaslighting used to mean somebody trying to make you feel like you're crazy when you're not. And in fact, trying to make you believe that things that you are accurately perceiving are not accurate, right? And so to most folks, this would be common sense. Think of all the different times you need to show ID. The other day, my my lovely wife was uh, told she could not buy buy, uh, wine or beer. Now, I got to tell you, she's around my age, so she's well past 21. But it was, you know, it was like one part flattering, one part really annoying to <laughs> not be allowed to buy beer or wine because either the guy didn't believe it or he's like, no, ma'am, I'm sorry, we need, we require all ID. And she didn't have her ID with her. Right. You know, it's think about all this. So if you're going to vote, well, why wouldn't they want to you know, verify? Because it's not just we want to say see that you are who you say you are. We want to make sure you live in this jurisdiction. We want to make sure you're at the right polling place. We don't want you voting for, you know, House members if you don't live in the district, city council members or a mayor if you don't live within the city limits, all that kind of stuff. This poll indicates that Republicans and folks, or at least right of center folks who support requiring ID to vote are in the right and they are not crazy and that they are not uh, secretly motivated by trying to suppress the vote and they're not racist and they're not xenophobic and they're not all these other terms that get thrown around it's just common sense 
And the idea, if, if you don't have sufficient, oh, by the way, most jurisdictions have this idea, well, let's say you go to the polls, you forget your ID, you can fill out a provisional ballot, go back, get your ID, prove that you are who you say you are, and sort it all out. We don't want to make it hard for people to vote, but we do want them to have to show, yes, I am who I say I am, not to be able to register under, say, two names or, or something like that. There are you know, this exceptional number of you know, small percentage of Americans who don't have some sort of state-issued ID. And you're like, well, if you do that, you should fine. Okay, let's let's figure out a way to get these people uh, forms of identification that that verify who they are. The whole point of Motor Voter was to make it easier for people to register to vote, and they would do it when you registered to get your driver's license. Well, we know those people have photo IDs because they're getting driver's licenses. This is all common sense, and I think a lot of the rhetoric about this, you know, requiring voter ID is racist. You know, this is all done as trying to suppress the vote. This is Jim Crow all over again. I think it's all meant as a form of gaslighting. It is meant to make you feel crazy for asking for something or for requiring something that is common sense. And they're trying to make it believe that, oh, it's a ludicrous request. It's an, you know, a, a nutty belief that, that people and no one of good conscience could ever possibly believe if you want to cast a ballot, you have to prove you are who you say you are. No, it absolutely makes total sense. And uh, you mentioned getting uh, folks who might have some hurdle to having an ID. You can get an ID that's not specifically a driver's license from the state. Uh, they give them to older folks who no longer drive, for example. I know other states have done this too, but I specifically remember back when Nikki Haley was governor of uh, South Carolina and Eric Holder was uh, trying to crush uh, voter ID requirements in state after state, particularly in southern states. And she said, fine, we'll just make them free. We just want everybody to have one so that way we can still do this and there will be no burden on you whatsoever. And Eric Holder still didn't think that was a good idea, which should tell you something. HR1 would just have you sign something that says, I am who I say I am. So, uh, you know, real good security for the election. <laughs> well, that's a deterrent. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about my pillow. But, you know, they don't just make fantastic pillows, although they are really good. They also give the same attention they've given their pillows to their towels and sheets. And right now, Three Martini Lunch listeners can buy one, get one free on all six-piece towel sets and the Giza Dream Sheet sets. My pillow towels have proprietary technology that makes these towels highly absorbent. They're soft to the touch without that lotion-y feel. They have a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. They're washable, they're dryable, and they have seven colors to choose from. The MyPillow Giza Dream bed sheets are made with the world's best cotton, making them ultra soft and breathable. The sateen weave gives them a luxurious finish. Also comes with a 10-year warranty and 60-day money-back guarantee. Washable and dryable, wide variety of colors and sizes. The sheets are terrific. I've got them right now. Visit MyPillow.com to learn more. And right now for three Martini Lunch listeners, all six-piece towel sets and Giza sheets are buy one, get one free. Just use the promo code MARTINI at checkout or call 800-874-0104. That's MyPillow.com, code MARTINI, or call 800-874-0104 for buy one, get one free on all six-piece towel sets and the Giza Dream Sheets. All right, let's talk about our bad martini now, Jim. And I know this is going to shock you. It's going to shock our listeners. Democrats want to raise taxes. They always say it's only the rich. The rich have to pay their fair share. They never explain what that means. But they also uh, are now using a lot of wiggle words when it comes to who's actually going to get a tax increase. Let's go back to the campaign trail. Uh, thanks to Americans for Tax Reform for compiling this. Jim, it's almost like they knew Joe Biden wouldn't honor his pledge. But uh, here's many times out of a long, much longer clip where Joe Biden said specifically that anybody 
singular. Uh, making more than $400,000 will get a tax hike. If you're under that, you won't. Nobody making under 400000 bucks would have their taxes raised, period. Bingo. So no new taxes, $400,000 no in doubt. No new taxes. There would be no need for it. But here's the deal. I'd pay for every single thing I'm proposing without raising your taxes one penny. If you make less than 400 grand, you're not going to get a penny tax. Nobody making less than $400,000 have to pay a penny more in tax under my proposals. I'm not going to raise taxes on anybody making less than $400,000. I'll do it without raising anyone's taxes if you make less than $400,000 a year. Well, that's changing now. Jen Psaki clarifying on Wednesday, Jim, that President Biden's proposed tax hike would apply to people who earn $200,000 per year if they're married to someone who makes the same amount or more. So it's not individuals, it's on households making $400,000. So the scale is sliding, and given how much this administration wants to spend, cranked out almost $2 trillion with the COVID relief, that wasn't really COVID relief in a lot of ways, they want to spend even more than that on infrastructure, they still want to do Green New Deal in some form, on and on and on it goes. Uh, so the line of people who are going to get soaked here is getting lower and lower. Yeah. And what really makes this egregious is how emphatic and how much Biden kept underlining it. There's no way you can argue he left himself any wiggle room when discussing this on the campaign trail over and over again. My favorite one was, I guarantee you, Joe Namath, take note, a promise. I've never broken my word. Anyone making less than $400,000 will not see one single penny in their tax raised. That is about as, as broadly defined and about as clear as you can possibly make it. You don't get to pull a Jen Psaki later and say, well, what he meant to say was, no, sorry, you don't get to do that. Those aren't synonymous. And while well, I guess what the Biden administration is counting on is the argument of like, well, whether you're an individual who's making $400,000 a year or more, or whether you're a household making $400,000 a year or more, in both cases, you're rich. So the distinction doesn't really make a difference. Well, first of all, you're not supposed to be able to just change your rules after making these emphatic, underlined in red, flashing neon sign campaign promises. This is right up there with read my lips, no new taxes. Biden is every bit the broken promise figure that George H.W. Bush was after that uh, rather infamous uh, uh, backtracking. On this one, though, like let's, let's observe, like if you're making more than 400,000, if you're an individual and you're making $400,000 a year or more, God bless you, you're doing pretty darn well. I think most people would say, okay, you're rich, right? Now, if you are a household making $400,000 a year or more, you probably are you know, a two-earner in household, two lawyers, two doctors, two uh, you know, entrepreneurs, two, two people who are doing pretty darn well for yourself. Um, and you're making you know, that, but $200,000 in certain parts of the country, uh, certainly New York City, probably LA, um, arguably the Washington DC area, high cost part areas of living. $200,000 a year, or let's say two twenty dollars a year. That's, you know, that's what, you're doing okay. You're, you're definitely upper middle class, you know, but you're like upper middle class or lower upper class. You are not necessarily champagne dreams and caviar fantasies or whatever it was in Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. <laughs> that is not lighting your cigars with $100 bill kind of lifestyle. You're, you're living a very comfortable upper middle class lifestyle, but you're not the leisure class. You're not quote unquote fat cats. Uh, you're probably in that category called uh, Henry's high earners, not rich yet. And you know, Biden wasn't running around saying, "Oh, I'll, I'm going to raise taxes on the Henry's." If he'd wanted to say, "I'm going to raise," you know, if you if you and your spouse are making 
$210,000 a year, yeah, I'm going to raise your taxes. He didn't say that. He was very, very emphatic that if you were you know, into only individuals making more than $400,000 a year, he just reduced it by about $200,000 and he's hoping nobody notices. People should notice. We've now gone through this with Joe Biden. We've gone through this with Barack Obama. We've gone through this with Bill Clinton. If a Democrat promises they will not raise taxes on a certain level, guarantee you the, the tax hike will be bigger than they promised on the campaign trail. And it will affect more people than they promised on the campaign trail because they never intend to keep these promises. And also the fact that what they promise to spend and what they promise to bring in in tax revenue never add up. And they always need to raise more taxes than they expected to. And they always act like there was no way they could have foreseen this, even though their opponents were accusing them of doing this bait and switch every single time. America, please learn your lessons. I remember from the debate where we actually got to hear everybody talk that Joe Biden lied on just about every single issue. He said he wouldn't ban fracking. He's already banned it on federal land. This is a guy who will say whatever he has to. Uh, he's a he's a consummate politician in that regard. Uh, he lies almost as much as he just breathes. And so uh, a lot of people on the left, Jim, I don't know if you've noticed this on social media as well. Uh, the left has this Scandinavian fantasy of how the economy ought to look. And you've got some who are honest enough to say, you know, we got to start the conversation where the middle class has to be paying 60% in taxes now. So I welcome that debate, uh, but it feels like the Democrats are creeping more and more there because their agenda is so expensive, they have no other choice. But uh, they're lying to get there on just about every level. All right, let's talk about a good way to relieve the stress if you're going to get a tax hike that you didn't expect but really should have seen coming. Theragun is the answer for that. Don't let the stress of Joe Biden's lies and tax hike plans uh, or other stresses of daily life weigh on your body. So whether you're an elite athlete or someone like us just trying to make it through the day tension-free, Theragun can help. Theragun is the handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combination of depth, speed, and power. It's as quiet as electric toothbrush. The Gen 4 Theragun doesn't just feel good. It gets to the source of the pain by releasing tension. Using Theragun's signature percussive therapy, which goes 60% deeper than vibration alone. Whether you want to treat your muscle tension from working out, or you're trying to recover from an injury, or you're just dealing with the stresses of everyday life, there is no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4. The OLED screen and design make you feel like you're holding something from the future. Just go to their site and check it out. And the Theragun app learns from your behaviors and suggests guided routines. That's the part I think uh, that my wife and I love best. Uh, you can use it on your own. And the thing through the app actually understands where you need the therapy. And it starts to create your own guided uh, plan each time you uh, break out the Theragun. And so it's absolutely fantastic. Theragun is trusted by 250 professional sports teams like Real Madrid and elite athletes like Paul George, DeAndre Hopkins, Maria Sharapova, hundreds of thousands of customers, and me. So try Theragun for 30 days starting at only $199. Go to theragun.com slash martini right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's theragun.com slash martini, theragun.com slash martini. All right, Jim, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the rise of violence towards Asian Americans. We also talked about how the demographics of those accused of attacking Asian Americans might not be breaking down, as uh, some people might suggest. 
But we saw perhaps the most shocking example of that violence, although the motive is still apparently in question, in Atlanta with this guy who went around to various massage parlors and killed eight people, six of them Asian. And so the media is finally paying attention to this, either because of the the number of people killed or uh, it finally fits their narrative. Uh, the media going out now essentially saying that this is all traceable back to President Trump uh, calling the coronavirus the China virus or the Wuhan flu. I'm not sure if he used that, but uh, the White House may have a, at certain points. And so the issue got raised at the White House briefing yesterday, and Jen Psaki said this. You know, I, I think there's no question that uh, some of the damaging rhetoric uh, that we saw uh, during the prior administration, uh, blaming, uh, you know, calling COVID, uh, you know, the Wuhan virus or other things, um, uh, led to, um, you know, um, perceptions of the Asian American community that are inaccurate, unfair, uh, have uh, raised, um, you know, threatening, uh, have, has elevated threats against uh, Asian Americans. And we're seeing that uh, around the country. Jim, you can tell by all the babbling there that she really doesn't know what she's talking about, but she's trying to score political points anyway. We've talked many times about how most viruses are named for where they originated. Lyme's disease, Ebola, West Nile virus. I mean, it goes on and on. The variants of COVID now are that's perfectly fine to call them by where those uh, were first detected. I mean, Trump's rhetoric, we've talked about that a lot of different times, calling it the China virus and trying to tie that to deadly violence against Asians in this country is just absurd. Yeah. And look, no one has given a good explanation as to why China virus or Wuhan virus would be inherently would just make people start attacking Asian Americans. It would just make them do things that they otherwise never would do. They couldn't possibly be full of hateful or violent impulses before and simply looking for an excuse that this 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 made people. It's kind of like it was almost like mind control. That's how bad China virus and Wuhan virus are. But the terms UK variant, uh, United or United Kingdom variant, South African variant, Brazilian variant, no threat from any of those whatsoever. We we, we can use those terms. It's perfectly fine. None of them are going to set off any hate crimes or anything like that. There's no logic to this whatsoever. But let's take this example of this piece of human garbage that went on this shooting spree yesterday. Now, apparently after he did his, uh, his, his horrific series of crimes, the police officer said that he had so, confessed to a quote-unquote sex addiction. Fairly is certain this isn't how sex addiction works. I'm fairly certain that, no, no, you don't generally go on shooting sprees if you, uh, if you claim to have had that. Now, I don't, you know, is it possible this guy had some sort of fixation on Asian women or something like that? Yeah, that, that could be, you know, it could be a factor there. Um, but chances are, if you, you know, if you saw the pictures of this guy, the indication, this sounds like a guy who had a whole bunch of problems in his life. This is not necessarily a case of those uh, missed red flags necessarily, but this seemed like a troubled guy and he's decided to take it out this way. Um, he could have taken it out in any particular way. And maybe he does have all of his... Um, let's say, you know, biological urge fixations, uh, maybe it does manifest itself in a way that represents fetishism or represents something where he was particularly focused on Asian women. Any way you want to slice it, the guy's scum of the earth, as far as I'm concerned, throw the book at him, put him in the chair. But the idea that this was caused by rhetoric, we really want to buy into this idea that somehow people, politicians saying words makes other people commit violent crimes. And I'm not convinced that's the case. And I noticed that when, say, the Bernie Sanders volunteer tries to shoot up a softball field full of Republican congressmen, 
no one likes to dwell on the idea that anything Bernie Sanders might have said might have set off this guy because I don't really I don't really believe this idea. I don't believe that if somebody gives a speech, we are all of a sudden like such easily programmable robots that we can't be exposed to that. Can people whip up hatred? Sure. Did, did Donald Trump say all kinds of offensive and obnoxious and unacceptable things? Yes. But I do not see any evidence, and I demand much more concrete evidence that, you know, this, this if you're going to make the accusation that, you know, anti-Asian, or that's also observed. When people say um, China virus or Wuhan virus, one, they're referring to the geographic location. But since, you know, since we've, we've had this outbreak in our lives, we've seen a lot of, I, I would argue, 110% justified criticism of the Chinese government. Now, the Chinese government and the Chinese people are different. And the Chinese people and the Chinese government and Chinese Americans are different. And oh, by the way, Asian Americans and Chinese Americans are not synonyms. Think of your two little Venn diagram. One is a small circle in a Venn diagram. The other is a bigger circle in the Venn diagram. There, if, no matter how mad you are at Xi Jinping or, or anybody else in the Chinese government, if you're really mad at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, you shouldn't be taking it out on the nice Asian American family that lives down the street. If you do that, you're a jerk and a whole bunch of other words that I'd really love to use, but Greg would probably rather I didn't because this is a family <laughs> podcast, right? But you're, you're an obnoxious, hateful human being if you're taking this out on random Asian Americans. Random Asian Americans have nothing to do with this pandemic. There's no indication that they brought it back after visiting from China. There's no indication they're at higher risk. There's no indication that they're a greater uh, possibility of being a carrier. They had nothing to do with this. So any, any animosity, oh, that person down the street, that's the person. Now, the other factor we have in here, when you say, oh, that there's been this increasing rate of attacks on Asian Americans, um, the, the data for this is, let's just, put, let's just put disputed. Let's just observe that. It is definitely, you, know, you can find plenty of cases of Asian Americans being attacked. In quite a few cases, they are uh, the perpetrators that have been caught turned out to be African-American. Is it possible that this was done out of racism? It's possible. It's also occurring how a lot of cities have had uh, increases in general crime rates. So in other words, how do we know that these attacks on Asian Americans are specifically targeting them because they're Asian Americans and aren't just part of the general crime wave? Now, in certain cases, if they're yelling things at the person, um, targeting, the, saying, you know, calling them names, okay, then, I, then I'm willing to believe that racial animosity probably was at minimum a contributing factor to this kind of violent assault or some other mistreatment of people. But it's deeply frustrating. There was this big study that came out that talked about this, you know, this increase of 150%. Uh, than the, from 2019 to 2020. Well, if you look at the top four cities, I believe it was you know New York, LA, like probably San Francisco, and one other one. They were like more than half of the examples in this in this uh, study, and that a couple of cities like uh, Washington D.C. had gone down from six to three from 2019 to 2020, and a whole bunch like Cincinnati, I believe it went technically it had an infinity percent increase because the number of anti-Asian American incidents had gone from zero to one. Um, the data didn't really point to a very even wave of anti-Asian American incidents uh, across the country. It said it was targeted probably by three or four big cities were the ones where you're seeing the most. Now, in every one of those cases, throw the book at these guys. Throw the book at these guys, lock them up, uh, but, you know, prosecute them to the fullest extent of the law. None of this should be construed as a defense of these actions or activities. But it really feels like that there's an eagerness to set up this very simple narrative of rhetoric caused violent crimes against Asian Americans. And that's not the case. And I say that as somebody who believes that Trump's rhetoric oftentimes went way over the line and was fully deserving of a rebuke. But you can't just insist 
without evidence that uh, it, it's the same way the number of people who continually insist that the shooting on Gabby Giffords out in Arizona was somehow started by Republican rhetoric or Sarah Palin and her Facebook page when the perpetrator was a paranoid schizophrenic who insisted that punctuation was part of a conspiracy. Sometimes people are just crazy and you cannot blame a political figure for their actions. And while Trump did blame China, probably blamed the Chinese Communist Party, I don't believe he ever blamed even the Chinese people, much less Asian people in general. So absolutely absurd. It should be called out. Glad we had the chance to do it. Jim, talk to you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. Tell your friends. Love those five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Thursday. And please join us Friday for the next Three Martini Lunch. We are living in difficult times where people fear having thought-provoking conversations about pressing issues. And although we're in the midst of an information explosion, there are a lot of forces aiming to distort what's true. I created The Bill Walton Show to provide a forum for in-depth, thought-provoking conversations with leaders, artists, entrepreneurs, and thinkers. Please join me at thebillwaltonshow.com to explore what's true, what's right, and what's next.